0: One of the problems with being, as a t-shirt that I saw this week said, feeling strange that my age is the same as the old people. But the eyes don't focus quite right, so you have to get the right pair of glasses for everything you do. If you put your finger back in Second Timothy, where you, we were just a short while ago, it wasn't that long ago that we looked at Timothy and went screaming through that book both 1st and 2nd Timothy. We're going to camp some more particularly on 2nd 2 Timothy 2.15 and 3.16 but before we get there we need to build a little bit of momentum uh, in moving us in that direction. Heavenly Father we pray that you will cause both my mind and our collective minds to be focused on you and attentive to what your Spirit would cause us to understand from your Scriptures today. We were admonished this morning that there's a difference between teaching and preaching. I would encourage you to understand that when we expose ourselves to God's Word and let the Holy Spirit teach us, God is in fact preaching to us in Leviticus and in chapter 11 and again in chapter 19 and in chapter 20 Paul or the God through Moses speaking to the priests and the levites those people who were to be God's representatives to the people of Israel says repeatedly be holy for I am holy And he gives them several reasons for that. But one of them is, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who saved you. I am the God who gave you the law. I am the God who makes a difference in your life. Therefore, be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And lastly, chapter 20, verse 26. You are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Now, one of the things we learn about in the New Testament is... That we are, like Israel, a called people. Peter makes that reference in his epistle, that we are specifically called to be responsive to God. So that's what we want to talk about today, because when we look into Timothy, and as, as we were reminded this morning by Nick, Paul is writing to Timothy the man, and he's talking to him about the things that make him an effective holy leader. And he has several things to say, but in chapter two of 2 Timothy in verse 15, he says something very specific, and I call our attention to it because it was one of the verses that very early in my life caught my attention. Be diligent to present yourselves, or to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now that's an arresting statement, and it should capture each of our attentions. It certainly captured mine. But then you put it into context, starting at verse 14 in chapter 2. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them. Who is he talking to? Well, if we go back to verse 2 in this chapter, it's the faithful men who were going to be taught by Timothy who hopefully will reproduce Timothy's thinking and teach other faithful men following that. We'll come back to that verse later. So remind them, these faithful men, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, and Philatus, men who have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, the context is we need to accurately handle the word of God so that we don't get caught up in the empty, aimless chatter of the world, that we can make that distinction between that which is true and that which is false. And I would argue to you that if we are guided by the Holy Spirit, we have a truth detector and we need to be very careful to understand it. And that truth detector is the Scripture One end of this book to the other end of this book is a truth detector for all of us. I can also tell you that if you are immersed in this book, your view of the world and your filter of what comes in from the world will be different than your neighbor or your co-worker whoever it is that you're working with. Now, the question is, is if we were to be a careful workman, how do we develop the frame of mind that makes us that kind of a careful handler of the Word of God? How do we get there? And I would say we get there because we let the Holy Spirit teach us the word, the Bible, the book. For lack of a better term, I talk, refer to this as boiled in the book. And that's a nice alliteration phrase. But really, it comes from the concept of the dyeing of cloth. And the dyeing of cloth gives us the word baptizo in the Greek. And that's where you take cloth And you put it in a boiling vat of water and the dye that's in the boiling water gets infused into the cloth and the cloth gets covered up by that water and when you get done and pull it out the dye is in the cloth. Now we are encouraged to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and part of that is to be, have our minds changed or transformed by being exposed to the Word of God. Now in John chapter 16 which is very shortly before the Passover meal or just after the pa- just before the Passover meal excuse me and shortly before his crucifixion Jesus is talking with his disciples and these are some of his last words to his disciples we ought to pay special attention to them and he's telling him i'm going to go away but it's a good thing that I go away because I tell you the truth, starting in verse 7 of chapter 16, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away, if I do not go away, the helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now pay close attention. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you, and will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine, and will disclose it to you. That is a powerful message to the disciples. Now, Jesus has been with them for roughly three and a half years. He's been teaching them. He's been showing them what God is all about. He's been showing them who he is. But he said, there's more. And the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? He does it primarily by giving us understanding of what's written in this book. Now, that understanding comes through our own reading and study and understanding in this book. It comes by others explaining it to us. But we need to be careful and filter, like the Berean believers did. Check it out, make certain that what's said is consistent. There's a lot said that isn't in context with the whole scripture, and there's more nonsense taught than, than truth but the Holy Spirit is to be our teacher. But if we are to be an accurate handler of this book, it's helpful to have the Holy Spirit be our first teacher of what this book is all about. And how does that happen? You have to spend time reading it. You have to spend time memorizing it or learning it so well that you can repeat it Repeat the message of this book whether you've got these pages in your hand or not because you don't have these pages in your hand all of the time and yet you need some of these words regularly. Now I realize that we in this day and age most of us will pack some sort of a device around that has everything that's in here on some little thing that we can scroll through and everything for me reading it here is better than reading it on a screen but I'm old school but I sometimes think that it's better that way I had a boss one time who said you know the order in which things are developed and created and introduced into our lives usually determines the priority that we give to them and we usually give priority to the newest thing that comes into our lives. If we'd all had computers from the time we were birthed, and somebody coming along and gave us a book that we could hold in our hand, that would work when the batteries were dead, and I didn't need to find an outlet, and I could open up and look at it, and put a bookmark in it and come back a few hours later or tomorrow and open it up and by golly, it's right where I left the bookmark. It would be the most fantastic development in the world. And it would sell like hotcakes. Well, that's the way we need to be about this book. is we need to think that it's the greatest thing that ever come along. In Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus through Paul, starts in a discussion about husbands and wives and family relationships, which goes on through chapter 5 and chapter 6. But in it, that discussion, he teaches us something about Jesus Christ. He says, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Washing of the water of the word. What does it do to your mind when you read any piece of literature or hear any piece of music or any piece of poetry or whatever it is over and over and over again? You soon get to the place where you can sing the words of the song without any help. You get to the place where you can repeat the poetry without having any script. You get to the place where you can tell the story in the book without any pages. That's what washing of the water of the Word is. And when we have enough of this in our minds, the Holy Spirit is able to use what we have in our minds to help us filter which comes in from all the other sources. We opened our service this morning by taking a portion out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. But Moses in Deuteronomy is teaching the people of Israel how to be a God-infused nation. In other words, everything about their lives, was to show both themselves and others what it meant to be a chosen people of God. And he starts in in chapter 6 and verse 1 and says, This is the commandment which I give to you, the statutes and the judgments which which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them. Notice that. Moses is to teach them the people of Israel are to do them in the land where you're going, over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We could camp here the rest of the morning. But remember what our question is. How do I become a workman who accurately handles the word of God? And here we have a prescription. First thing in the morning when you rise up, when you sit down at the breakfast table and at the dinner table and at supper, I'm a farmer. We don't have lunch on the farm. That's for city folk. You shall talk to them. What? The words that God has given you. When you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you sit in the gates. What is that? That's the public persona. When you are in your home, at your table, that's your most personal part of your life. The Word of God is to be a part of every thinking thing you do during the course of the day. That's the way it's supposed to be. How do we get like that? We rehearse it over and over and over again we read it over, over, over again. What are we supposed to get out of this? We're to figure out and understand who God is and what God is. We have a whole series of of verses which we can run back and forth through the Bible quickly to look at. Um, I decided to save myself some time and, and list them out for myself here. First of all, in John chapter 3, and in verse 33, it says, he who has received his testimony, and he's referring to the testimony of Jesus, and has set his seal to this, that God is true. Now stop and think about that. How often do we measure what we're hearing on the radio about the latest news, breaking news of the moment, and test it against God is true. What does God say? More importantly, when somebody comes to you and says, "Uh, gee, we have this new idea about how we ought to solve these things we're upset about. do We measure them against a God who is true. John chapter 4. Jesus is talking with the woman at the well and she asks the questions, where are we supposed to worship God? Our people say at the local mountain here and you say we're supposed to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. How often do you think about the fact that God is spirit? We tend to think of people as warm bodies walking about. We don't often think about God being present as a spirit and very real and very personal and very intimate. In Romans chapter 1 Paul is starting to set the difference between the people who acknowledge God and the people who refuse to acknowledge God as the God of the universe. And in verse 19 it says that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Have you ever thought about the fact that God reveals himself? God makes himself evident? When you start looking, it's all about us. Whether it's in creation, whether it's in the scriptures, whether it's in the best that we can do, we will find out that God makes himself evident. In Hebrews, we're encouraged in chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Now, what's this kingdom he's being talked about? It's the kingdom of God to which saved people are a part of. We're a part of something God is doing. And then he says, for our God is a consuming fire. Now you can read that two or three ways. One is you can read it that God is a God of judgment. But you have to remember that the writer to Hebrews is writing to Jews whose picture Is of the temple where sacrifices are given on the altar and anything put on the consuming fire of the altar whether it is a confession of sin a sacrifice for repentance whether it's for Thanksgiving whether it's a peace offering whatever it is is placed on that altar and consumed with flames as a symbol that God Is involved in every aspect of your life. God is a consuming fire. James reminds us in chapter 2 and verse 19 you believe God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? point James is trying to make is God isn't broken into pieces and parts. The God who has a mind who created everything is also the God who actually created it, who actually caused the physical world into existence. He's the one who did something in Jesus Christ to redeem us. John in his first epistle is constantly drawing a picture between light and darkness. And in verse 5, chapter 1, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Later on in chapter 4, he says, for God is love. So we have God is light, God is love. Later on in that chapter in verse Uh, 16, we're reminded again that God is love. And we're reminded at the very last of that verse that God abides in the person who responds, responds to Him. Who is this God? We need to get to know this God. This God who is true, who is spirit, who is evident who is a consuming fire engaged in all aspects of our lives, is one, is light, is love, is one who abides with us. We need to get to know that God. And we get to know Him through the book. When I put my notes together and sent them to Katie to print, I had a couple of errors and in the next little section in here there's a whole bunch of Leviticus verses that are repeated from the first point, you can cross those out, and where it says 1 Corinthians it should be 2 Corinthians. We also need to find out some things about us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a place where we do some of that. I won't read all the verses. But I'll read some important ones. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and here I like the New English translation better, he is a new creation. His old life is over. His new life has already begun. Now, All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word or message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now stop and think about that. We are new creations in Christ. We have a purpose. We're to be the messengers of reconciliation. We're not the reconciler. God's the reconciler, but we are the messengers of reconciliation and we are to be ambassadors. Have you ever thought about what the job of an ambassador is? Somebody who has been asked to live in a foreign country representing his homeland to that foreign group of people. In other words, he's supposed to live in such a way that the people where he is now ministering can get to understand the country from which he came. And sometimes he's actually given messages from his sending government to speak to the people that are in this new place. That's our job. One of the things we learned from digging in this book for a while is we are are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're here for a short period of time. We have a long time ahead of us elsewhere in the universe. But one of the other things that an ambassador needs to learn is he needs to learn enough about his home country that when guys like Nick come and ask the question, "Uh, why do you guys do this? He has an answer. Does anybody ever come to you and say, why do you Christians do this? Or why do you do something? Do you have an answer? Thus I challenge you. Enjoy the fact that you're a new creation in Christ. Be willing to share how that came to pass. God reconciled you to him. And he can do that for others. But be prepared to give an answer. Now, we're talking about a person who is to be an equipped workman, ready to rightly handle the Word of God. Paul, in encouraging Timothy, comes back in chapter 3, in 2 Timothy, and says something very powerful. Now, he's encouraging Timothy as he starts in verse 10 in chapter 3. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering. In other words, Timothy experienced what Paul was experiencing. He lived with him. He saw what was going on. And Paul gives him examples such as what happened to him at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. What happened to him in those places? He got run out of town. In one case, he was made a rock pile. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, but the evil man and the impostors will proceed from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Who did he learn them from? His grandmother, his mother, and Paul. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. What made a difference for Timothy, not only was his exposure to Paul, but Paul is saying, the real thing that makes a difference is your exposure to the Scriptures. Now, what Scriptures did Timothy have? What's what we call the Old Testament. Timothy's mind was directed fully to the understanding of the Old Testament. That's the same way Paul was, understood it well. Then Paul says, let me reread this that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. For training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, if we we're to be an approved workman properly handling God's word, we need to have these things happen to us. We need to be so confident and so involved in the scriptures, and so confident that the Holy Spirit can teach us by our exposure to the scriptures that it teaches us. It convicts us when we're wrong. It gives us answers that correct the way we live our lives. And it provides training in righteousness. That's how we go about living our lives before others. So that the man of God, or we could say the woman of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we have Scripture being used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our lives. Now, confronted by the Word, used by the Holy Spirit, and being confessed and repented, we're released to live. Now, going back to John 16, 1 through 15... We have to be reminded again that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and if we're not paying attention to what He has to say, it's not going to go well for us. And He, the Spirit of Truth, comes; He will guide you into all truth, and He will not speak on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, who's He hearing it from? He's hearing it from Jesus. He will speak, and he will disclose it to you. Now, in 1 John, again, we're encouraged that we need to be paying very close attention to what the Scripture is doing in our lives and how it's teaching us, how it's changing us, how it's convicting us. John says, if we say that we have no sin, starting in verse 8, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, remember, John is not speaking to people off the street here. He's speaking to believers who are committed to Jesus Christ in the church. And he's saying, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John again emphasizes it. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if the scripture is going to be active and useful and we're going to expose ourselves to it, it's going to have an it's going to change what's going on in us, and we're going to find out that we're not perfect. We're redeemed, but we're not perfect. So we need to be regularly confessing our sins, and then trusting God to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And a more proper reading of this, it says it cleanses us from all righteousness. It should be is, it cleanses us so that we are just as if we had never sinned. Would be a better reading. Now, let's get practical for a minute. How do we take this book and make it so much a part of our lives that it governs the way we think, the way we act, The way we interact with others from our most deep inward parts to the most outward parts. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, we have Paul giving some very practical advice about how to manage our mental lives so it changes the way we live our physical lives. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's letting God's word be primary and the way we live our lives. But we also acknowledge that it's first. You can't rejoice if you're not satisfied that God's in charge. This one particularly was important to me. Finally, brethren, in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, this is saying, have your mind think on these things over and over and over again. Rehearse them. I can tell you that when I was a young man... I could easily be caught up in thinking about things that weren't healthy for me to be thinking about. Particularly when it came to the other sex. I literally had to start schooling myself that when my mind was going off in a direction that was unhealthy to say, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be thinking about? I'm supposed to be thinking about what's true, what's true? God is true. Scripture is true. Jesus Christ is true. Start rehearsing what is true. The commandments given by God are true. The testimony and start rehearsing what is true. And then whatever is honorable. What is honorable? What's the things that God's approves of? And start listing them. And whatever is right. And start listing what is right pretty soon whatever it was my mind was wandering off to that was not healthy wasn't on my mind anymore because I was captivated by what was being said here. So if I want to be somebody who's an accurate handler of the Word of God, what am I going to be thinking about? I'm going to be thinking about this book, what's said in the book, what's in it. The only way to do that is I can you have to expose our, myself to it. I use the word steeped in the word, and I do that because of Janet's grandmother, who is, let's put it this way, very careful about her tea, as was my grandmother, who came from a Scottish background as well. Tea just wasn't tea. Tea had to be prepared properly. And I did a little research on it, It turns out that steeping in tea is where you take the tea bag and put it, for most and best effect, in boiling water. Now, you can steep tea by putting it in cold water and putting it outside where the sun can heat it, and it very slowly takes the tea that's in the tea leaves and combines it with the water. But generally speaking, the way we do it, because we're a little impatient, is we put the tea in hot water or pour hot water over loose tea leaves. And so many minutes. If we leave it too long, what happens to the tea? Gets bitter, right? <laughs> but the right amount of time, the full flavor and benefit of the tea is now in the water, and then when I drink the water, I get the benefit of the tea. Well, exposing ourselves to God's Word is sort of like steeping in tea. We need to have what's in the book become part of our minds and our lives. That's how we become an accurate user of it. Another word would be the word meditate. That's where you sit. And I like to use the word meditate because of my background on a dairy farm. I got to the place where I was fascinated by cows and their digestive system but cows can take plant protein and turn it into concentrated animal protein so that we can have food that has high protein content to it for us. And they do that better than any other creatures on Earth. Most creatures which have a once-through stomach, whatever goes into the stomach and pass into the intestines and on out of the body, you get some of the value of the food. And particularly if you're eating vegetable matters like grass, where you've got to eat a lot of it to get the protein that's in it, you don't get very much value out of it. Try eating grass and see if you'll stay healthy. See if you get enough protein. But they do very well at it. And part of it is, is they have three stomachs. So when they eat grass, they ball it up into a ball And it goes into the first stomach where a bunch of juices and acids work on it and start breaking down the plant material so that when they cough that cut up and start chewing on it again, all of a sudden it's like chewing on something where they're squeezing out the good protein. Then they swallow it and it goes now into their their second stomach where it's digested some more. And finally into the third stomach where it's digested some more and then into the intestinal system. So they're able to get that protein out of the grass that if we were to eat it we get just a smidgen. They get all of it. That's one reason why they're so powerful and particularly in dairy cows not only they get it to make their own meat and for them to grow they're able to put it into the milk which we like to drink and it's a high-protein food for us. So we need to think that we need to be sort of like the cow. We need to be able to, at any time of the day or night, take the book that we've been reading and mentally cough some of it up and chew on it some more and think about it some more and think over and over again. That means that you've got to be familiar enough with it that when you cough it up, you cough it up right. You don't have some mysterious misinterpretation of what you're chewing on. It means you need to use it well. Now, how is the mind of a workman of Christ displayed? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Paul repeatedly in Timothy tells Timothy, What you have seen in me, do. That means we need to live, we need to walk in the Word. We need to walk in such a way that what we've been learning in the book oozes out of our lives. And I like to think of it that way as oozes out of our lives. Because it's in our less than conscious moments that we display whether we've really been regenerated in our minds or not. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now we've been thinking about how we've been called and we've been thinking about the book. Paul says, now walk it, live it. Let other people see what you've got. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Later on, verse 15, he said, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. And yes, we need to be filled with the Spirit to understand the book and to be taught by the Spirit. But now he's talking about be filled with the Spirit when you engage with others. because he tells us to share what God has been doing with us. As it says, being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in fear of Christ. After we've studied the Word, been taught by the Spirit, chewed on it, we're now to share it with others. Lastly, Paul tells Timothy, "To endure the stuff that happens to us that isn't pleasant." Second Timothy, chapter two, verses eight through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Later on, chapter 4, verse 5, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. How do many people come to see that God is real in our lives? It's by seeing how we handle the hard things of life. And the question is, does your faith in Jesus Christ, schooled by the Bible, Make a difference in how you experience the tough stuff. Now Paul is not done yet. It's not all just that you become an accurate user of the word. It's also that you share what you've learned about the word. He says you must reproduce it. And this is where we come back to the first part of Timothy, in chapter 2, and Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This was an important verse, particularly when I was in college because we were encountering a lot of people. And looking back on that period of time, we've, we had a period of time where God put a bunch of us together, and out of that came many changed lives. And I could easily say we were entrusting God's word to faithful men who would be able to reproduce it. But I'm a little older now and a little wiser and my question is had they already proved themselves to be faithful men therefore it was easy to pass on faithful truth to them or did they become faithful men because we invested in them I think the answer is yes and yes some came to us already developed as faithful men because they had come from homes where they had, had that modeled for them and they had learned that lesson. There were others who having encountered Jesus Christ and encountered those of us who were being faithful learned how to become faithful men and move on. And I might add women as well. The question is are you watching out for those faithful people to pass on what's been passed on to you. Because that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. It was passed to you by your grandmother and your mother and me. Pass it on to others who will pass it on. I think a lot of that has to do with parenting. Parenting is an interesting process. And it comes in two forms. It comes in the form of those children that are granted to us. And it comes in the form of those who are childlike that we have the privilege of ministering into their lives because they are new creations in Christ. But the powerful message that I get out of this, if I am to be an accurate handler of the word of truth, will I get to the place where I will say with Paul, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That isn't the only time in 2 Timothy that Paul says, copy me. This happened to come out of Philemon chapter 4. But several times in 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy is encouraged to copy Paul. My question to you is, my challenge to you is, is become an accurate handler of the book. Let God teach you the truth. I determined, and I don't know why as a young man, that my first textbook on Christianity it would be this book. The next two or three books I would use to help me understand this book would be a concordance. That's so I can find things efficiently. A Bible atlas, so I can figure out where it's taking place. And a Bible dictionary that would explain to me some of the words and phrases and things that I didn't understand. But for the most part, if I didn't understand it, I would go look someplace else in this book to try to understand it. After I had exhausted everything in this book and had trusted the Holy Spirit to teach me to the place where I could discern truth, then I might go read something written by somebody else about the book. Now, other people writing about the book can be very helpful other people preaching about the book can be very helpful and we are encouraged together together to hear the word of God preached by faithful men who are passing on to us what they have said but there's a little phrase in Acts where it says Paul was in Berea preaching to the Berean people who were a synagogue of Jews who said okay Paul we're going to check out what you say because you're saying that this Jesus Christ is revealed to us in the Old Testament. So they'd listen to Paul and then they would go home and do what? They would read their Old Testament frontwards or backwards to see whether or not what Paul had to say was actually in fact truth. That's what we need to do It's the same kind of thing because we need to be that kind of a student of the word of God. So my question to you is what kind of a Christian workman am I choosing to be? Am I willing to do the work to rightly handle this book? And then the really penetrating question is is when there's somebody new in Christ can I look at them and say what you see and hear in me do And you get to know God the way I've gotten to know God. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning with the question, are we the kind of people that somebody who's trying to understand what Christianity is all about can copy because we are an adequate Workmen for you, rightly handling the word of truth. In Jesus, we are challenged.